When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us as three lifelong 007 fans go on a journey of discovery. We're on a mission to discover everything we can about cinema's greatest spy films. By learning about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind. The James Bond A to Z podcast is in no way affiliated with James Bond, Eon or the Fleming Estate. We've researched each episode as extensively as we can, but our information does come from a range of sources. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we can get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us at podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. Hello, and you are listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Uh, my name is Tom Butler, and I am joined by Brendan Duffy. Hello. And Tom Wheatley. Hello there. The usual suspects. <laughs> now, this episode is a Daniel Craig special, first of uh, first part of two. And Daniel Craig, of course, is the sixth movie James Bond, and the current, the incumbent James Bond. So, uh, yeah, quite a quite a big episode. Um, this first part will be covering the life of Daniel Craig um, up to Bond and landing Casino Royale. And next episode will be, you know, Bond and Beyond, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, people listening to this probably won't know, but we've had a, had a few weeks off recording. So I feel like we've we've come back refreshed. Yeah, refreshed, um, ready for recording on one of the hottest days of the year so far. <laughs> refreshed, <laughs> rebooted, you might say, uh, ready to get stuck into. Oh, um, how yeah. apt. How apt. Very good, so, yeah. So Daniel really Craig obviously is interested. He is the incumbent James Bond. Um, if you're listening to this in the future, we may have a new James Bond, but at the moment he is our current service for serving Bond. And he is the longest serving Bond, uh, became the longest serving James Bond actor in 2019, outlasting Roger Moore, uh, which yeah. is incredible to think, really. I always think it's a little bit of a unfair comparison, though, because normally it's due to completely separate reasons other than they've just lasted the longest it's most of the time it's because they couldn't get a film made yeah i think daniel craig's tenure has been beset with uh, production issues um uh which we'll talk about i guess throughout this he's done four films four james bond films one 2006 one 2008 then there was a bit of a gap skyfall in 2012 then we had spectre in 2015 and now we've just been waiting forever for no time to die and hopefully that'll come out in uh, 2021 and when that comes out that will be his final james bond film we know that for certain although with amazon coming in 
Who knows? Anything could happen. Mm. Oh, they could convince him. One they last could. throw. They could get his own um, series. Old Man Bond. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what, just before we start talking about Daniel Craig, what's your both of yours general feeling about him? I know he is a, his era of Bond is a divisive era among Bond fans. Uh, yeah, he, he might not be my favourite Bond, but I do appreciate what he did for the franchise. I can see that it was needed and the way that he plays the character. But yeah, his his movies are hit and miss. I think it, we're on 50-50 at the moment of good and average, in my mm. my opinion. Yeah, I, I think um, out of all the Bonds, he's probably the least... I think he's got the the least amount of kind of their own persona out of all the Bonds for me. Um, he's he fits the roles that he's got, and I was I, I was talking to Brendan about this earlier. In that Daniel Craig's Bond is meant to be almost like a blunt instrument with some really hidden levels of nuance and character to him, and I think that's probably why he's does is the role so good because he is very layered and it's very difficult to see his emotions and stuff like that. So I think he, he's he was a very good Bond for the roles that he's done, but it's very difficult to compare him with the other Bonds. Mm. Yeah, and I guess the fifth film, No Time to Die, will could be the making or breaking of his legacy. We'll, we'll find out, hopefully, mm. in September. But um... it, it does feel like that could tip it, yeah, either way. I mean, I, I can't look past uh, Casino Royale, to be honest. And Skyfall is fantastic, but Casino Royale did it set that precedent. And it is an excellent film, as we spoke about, you know, a couple of episodes yes. ago. Yeah, see yeah. episodes pass for Casino Royale. And as always with these actor specials, it's worth noting that we will do a film a special for each film that they make. So if it feels like we're glossing over details um, for Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall Spectre, No Time to Die, it's because we will talk about those films in detail when we get to their letter in the alphabet. We've done Casino Royale. Uh, we did a couple of episodes on, on his Casino Royale, so you can listen to those already. And we'll do the others as they as they come up, which is the next... Oh, it'll be Quantum of Solace next, I guess. Yeah. Um, oh, No Time to Die. Uh, I'm just trying to do my alphabet in my head then. <laughs> yes, <laughs> No Time to Die. If that comes out, yeah, yeah, it will be No Time to Die. Well, yeah, we sh- yeah, well, it will be, won't it? Hopefully it's out by the time we get to N. Yes. Yeah. Well, without Was it 2024? <laughs> <laughs> without further ado, let's talk about Daniel Craig. So Daniel Rawton Craig was born on the 2nd of March 1968 to parents Tim Rawton Craig and Carol Olivia Craig. And he was actually born at home, uh, 41 Liverpool Road in Chester. Uh, obviously, Daniel and, and Tim share their middle name, Rawton. Tim was in the Merchant Navy, um, but was a pub landlord when Daniel was born. And Carol, um, I think... More commonly known as Olivia, she was an art teacher um, and they actually already had an, a, an older child, a daughter, Leah. Daniel's dad apparently is a salt of the earth type, as you can imagine, from a pub, pub landlord. Uh, but his mum is more of a sort of creative type, as you would expect from an art teacher. Uh, Daniel's dad sadly died in 2020 after having liver cancer. Um, but his parents had actually divorced when he was quite young anyway. And, 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 and Daniel's dad had remarried and they had another son, he had another son, Daniel's half brother, Harry. So like I said, Daniel was born at home. Um, the legend has it, according to reports, that they were so ill prepared for the birth. When the midwife asked for a towel, his father had to give her a newspaper to wrap the baby in. So apparently he was wrapped in a newspaper um, mm. when he was born. Um, I mean, it's 1968. It's sort of believable, but that's the legend yeah. anyway. 
And so uh, his father, Tim, said that Daniel was destined to be an actor and would tell stories about um, the times when he was sort of running around his pub in Frodsham, uh, the Ringo Bells in Cheshire. He said, "Uh, I remember having some friends over and Daniel was weaving in and out between their legs. And he said one of them asked him what he was doing and what he was going to do when he grew up. And without breaking his stride, he said, be an actor. And Tim said, I remember at the time blinking and doing a double take because he said it with such certainty and he was so small. And so apparently when he was young, he would perf- Daniel would perform for the regulars doing um, like impressions of comedians he'd seen on TV. And uh, the punters would give him money for his doing his little party tricks. So that's quite a sweet, uh, sweet, uh, sweet vision of uh, little Daniel Craig doing that. So it's thought that his trips to the theatre with his mum were actually what inspired his love for acting. Later on, Daniel said that it was his desire for dressing up and showing off attention seeking. Um, He said it's a great way to get rid of your insecurities and find plenty of new ones. So even just from that quote, you sort of get a sense that Daniel Craig is sort of quite self-deprecating character. And you get that from the interviews that you read with him. He doesn't take it seems like he takes himself quite seriously, but also doesn't at the same time. It's quite a, a weird sort of mix. So he made his stage debut age six in a school production of Oliver while he was at Frodsham Church of England Primary School. And it was around this time that his parents divorced. And at that point, he moved to Liverpool with his mum and sister Leah. And then they later moved to the Wirral. Um, Carol remarried a a painter called Max Blonde, which I thought was quite a good Bond villain name. He is, Um, yeah. Max Blonde. Um, And apparently Daniel has a really good relationship with his father and also stepfather at the same time. So that's good. So this where he lived in Liverpool was a, a bit rough, apparently. And the L7 postcode, I, I'm not from Liverpool, don't know it. But he said it's rough, but it's what she could afford. And it's what and it is what it and it was what it was. Him and his sister went to a, a school in a, in a more affluent suburb, though. Um, and he said walking back from school was a bit dicey sometimes. So, yeah, like I said, Carol's social life, she was an arty type. It revolved around the theatre in Liverpool, the Everyman Theatre. Um, and there, she'd often take Daniel and his sister to, to shows there. But it, it was around this age that also Daniel got the cinema bug. And he talks about going to the cinema to see films like Quest for Fire. And Blade Runner is one that seemed to make a big impression on him when he saw it at the cinema. Uh, he said, he, I seeing those guys' faces blown up on that huge screen, I thought, I want to do that. Interestingly, Daniel Craig works with Harrison Ford later in his career in on Cowboys versus Aliens, which is not quite the caliber of uh, Blade Runner. No. Um, so <laughs> when when he was older, he went to uh, Hill, Hillbrae High School in West Kirby, and there he appeared in a number of stage productions again: Cats, Cinderella, and then the one that they talk about is Oliver. He appeared in Oliver again, playing the role of Mister Sourberry. I don't know Oliver that well, but um, he was in Cats. Yeah, a, a, a stage production of Cats, yeah, at school. Interesting. Yeah. He was also in a band very briefly called Inner Voices. I'd love to see some some footage of that, but um, yeah. But he wasn't actually very academic. He failed his 11 plus. He only got one let O-level in art and he left school without uh, before completing his A-levels. So this is a quote from Daniel. He said, my mum wanted me to get an education, but when she realised that that wouldn't happen, she encouraged my acting. I was lucky to have that, Daniel concedes. Liverpool was a pit. I was depressed as F. So say the F word there instead of the swear word. She realised I wasn't going to get my exams and she was worried enough to get me out. I hated school. The only thing I ever wanted to do was act. And when I was young, I had this blind faith and ego that helped me believe I could do whatever I wanted to. But as I got older, I got more and more nervous. It's sort of reversing. 
And this is when Daniel's mother, Olivia, stumbled across an, ad- ad- an advert for the National Youth Theatre and she suggested that Daniel should give it a go. Yeah, so he wanted to go to London and, and pursue this acting. His mother, she, she did want him uh, to, to carry on, like like you said, carry on his studies and um, said it must have been very hard as he knew that I had my heart set on university for him. But she also saw the potential, which is why you know she advised him to, to apply for National Youth Theatre. And she made him promise that if he wasn't going to university, you get into a top drama school or you go back to school. So for this reason, she helped him to apply to Nas- for the National Youth Theatre, arrange the audition, and while the troupe were on tour in Manchester, and this was in 1984. So he auditioned... And he got accepted. He was only 16, but this meant he could leave his A-levels, which he thought there's no point in pursuing them because he wasn't going to use them. You know, he, he, like you said, he's, his heart is set on becoming an actor. So, you know, he moved to London and trained with the National Youth Theatre. Life was fun. There's, you know, he was doing what he wanted to do, but it was also hard because obviously London is expensive, a lot more expensive than Liverpool. And he's a young guy, so... He was forced to also work as well at the same time, uh, which means long days while you're also pursuing something you really want to do. But it did provide some sort of focus for him. So he was able to you know, hammer down and you know, learn all the skills that he needed to progress in his career. And he said, they were a huge influence on my life. They gave people like me the support zone to concentrate on acting because London's such a bastard of a place to live in if you're 16 or 17. Actually, it can be awful at any time of your life if you don't have any money. So his first appearance on the stage with the National Youth Theatre was in Shakespeare's Troilius and Cressida. Uh, And he played Agamemnon. Parents went down to London to watch him on the opening night. And then he continued to tour with the troupe uh, in Spain and Russia. So it's quite a big deal from a young age, you know, getting to travel across Europe. Yeah. And then... Obviously, with he's he's gaining all these skills and progressing. His next plan was to try and get into a drama school, but it proved it wasn't as easy as he hoped. Well, it wasn't too hard. <laughs> uh, so he went to uh, the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, which uh, I didn't know much about. It's, it's uh, at the Barbican. Um, he joined that in 1988, but it took him three auditions to get the role. Um, to, to actually get um, accepted on, on, the, on the course. And apparently his successful audition was after performing a speech from Brookside, which I, seems like an interesting one to choose when you try and mm. get into a drama school. Um, I'd probably go for Troilius and Cressida. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's... Um, it, it, while he was there at the, at the school, he, um, other people that crossed over at the same time were Ewan McGregor, Alistair McGowan, Damien Lewis and Joseph Fiennes. So pretty good school for prolific actors of that generation and comedians. He graduated in 1991 after three years. He makes a joke in an um, in- interview where he talks about how that, that it teaches you how you're not going to be employed, referring to his time during that course. Um, he, But he did appreciate the formal training and understood that one of the the lessons he learned was about motivation. That was what he said. He got the most out of it. And he said, uh, I got a lot out of, out of it, but mainly I realised I had to get out of bed in the morning and take it seriously, um, he said in an interview. So it, it, more, it taught him a, that, that you have to actually work hard to, um, to succeed in the business. Um, interestingly, I found out that in 2017, he went back to the, um, the Guildhall 
uh, School of Music and Drama and did a bit of a talk to the students there about you know, his time there as, as an alumni. Um, and he talked about his passion and determination to become an actor, which led him um, to move to London when he was 16 and auditioned to, to be at the school. Uh, one of the students asked him what he took most from his training and he said, it instills you with values to serve you well in your career. Turn up on time, ready to work and do your homework. Which is, it's, it's nice. I think this is probably a key, isn't it, to, to later actors. And this is, he's one of the, well, obviously he's, he's the most recent Bond that we've seen. And a lot of the time in the early Bonds, it's more about, you know, persistence and people you meet and stuff. But now it's getting to modern day it's just how hard you work. You've got to do those courses. You've got to put the effort in. You've got to learn how to do it and all this kind of stuff like, and do this formal stuff as well. And so they welcomed him back. Obviously, he's one of the school's most high profile alumni. Uh, and they, the staff and students applauded enthusiastically uh, when his um, previous teacher awarded him with an honorary fellowship, um, which he couldn't collect back in 2006, presumably because he was busy doing Bond. So yeah, nice little story there. And obviously pretty cool to have Daniel Craig on your books. As um, one of your alumni, yeah, I think just from learning about him, it's clear that he's the most classically trained of all the Bond actors. I think probably Dalton, when we get to him, we'll find he had a probably probably a similar background mm-hmm. in yeah. terms of the nature of his formal training. As we know, yeah. Sean Connery sort of came to it by accident, almost acting via you know Mr. Universe and, and South Pacific, and then Roger, I guess, maybe from a different era of of acting school, I guess. And then Piers yeah, Brosnan, yeah. we know, you know, had a very sort of from stage to TV sort of route, didn't he? Whereas Daniel, he's done, he does the, he does the work, and that sort yeah. of. But that's that's quite common these days, isn't it? It's acting like most other jobs is there's roots into it now that are, are more recognised in the olden days, where it was the industry was growing and developing, and people got in all different routes. But um, yeah, he's definitely he's he's been properly trained, and he's gone through a very conventional route into a lot of his roles that he's got. Yeah, but you still get actors coming through from different walks of life, right? You still get comedians that turn into actors and pop stars yes. that turn into actors, stuff like that. But um, yeah. yeah, I guess the the real meaty stuff go, always goes to the classically trained people. Um, but yeah, so 1992, uh, Daniel Craig gets his first screen role. He was cast to play a racist South African soldier in a film called The Power of One. And this was directed by John Avildsen, who was also the director on Rocky, Rocky Five, and the Karate Kid films. Um, and so this film was shot in Zimbabwe. It's a period drama. It's about an English South African boy raised under apartheid. And it starred Stephen Dorff, John Gielgud, and Morgan Freeman. Quite an eclectic cast. Mm. Sort of very indicative of the time when Stephen Dorff is leading a film. You sort of can pinpoint it in that moment in time in history. I've forgotten about Stephen Dorff. <laughs> Yeah, um, he's great in the True Detective season three, though. Uh, worth mm. worth worth seeking out. But um, yeah, he was a real poster boy at that time, wasn't he, in the early 90s? Um, so that film itself was a bit of a flop, critically and commercially. Daniel Craig was 23 and he got paid £18,000. And he said that was an effing fortune. I mean, a fortune. Uh, this was in an interview with GQ. And I spent every single penny of it. Um, um, and being so unused to having so much money, no one really talked to me about what he should do about paying tax on it. Um, and it actually took him five years to pay off the tax bill for that because he spent all the money rather than saving any to pay his tax bill. Ouch. It's it's interesting, actually. It's very rare that we talk about money when it comes to these people in the in the podcast. And it's so close. Like that, what, when he's talking about £18,000, it's only a little bit earlier than 
you know the 90s so you can actually see well, how much money that was whereas if you're talking about sean connery back in his day you have no idea how much that was worth yeah yeah you get a better sense of it don't you um so then he's then there's a, a few a few random tv roles here so i'll just rattle through these very quickly uh, in 1992 it appeared in a tv adaptation of a, something called anglo-saxon attitude which is a satirical novel by angus wilson it was a three-part series it also stars uh, Richard Johnson, Tara Fitzgerald and Kate Winslet, interestingly. And Daniel Craig played Gilbert. Uh, and the film actually won a best... Uh, sorry, the TV series won the Be- BAFTA Award for Best Serial Drama. This next one is so bizarre. It's, it, it appeared in a show called Covington Cross, which was a British medieval drama filmed for American TV that only aired seven of its 13 series, uh, thirteen episodes before it got pulled from the net, from the air. And it was described as Robin Hood meets Little House on the Prairie. And if you watch clips of this, it is the most bizarre TV program. Imagine a 90s American sitcom, but set in a castle. It is well, so bizarre. Let, let me tell you that most of the stuff that I've watched as research for this has been very similar in terms of this is very strange. <laughs> so I don't think I need to watch any more trailers of these things. But Covington Cross, oh my God, this stuff looks crazy. Um, uh, yeah, apparently it's one of the few British American TV shows ever filmed on British soil. Um, so mm. there you go. Then he appeared in an episode of Boone, an episode called MacGuffin's Transputer. So we all know Boone. Yeah, the oh, t- yes. British TV cop uh, detective show. Um, and then he really made his name on the stage. He appeared in Tony Kushner's Angels in America um, at the National Theatre. Um, do you know Angels in America? It's quite a famous no, no. AIDS play. It's like considered the seminal story of AIDS in America. It's quite famous. It's a two-part play. First part debuted in 1991, went on to Broadway. And then the second part followed later and Daniel starred in the West End uh, debut for the second part, which is called Perestroika. Um, And in it, he starred alongside Jason Isaacs and Stephen Delane of um, Game of Thrones fame. He plays Stannis Baratheon. Um, yeah, and he got great plaudits from it. Jason Isaacs tells a funny story about how they used to um, mess about while they were in bed together on stage, like playing pranks on each other, tickling each other's balls and stuff. So um, there you go. That's an image for you. Good, good pranks. Yeah, good pranks. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was yeah that was in in, in the mid nineties. Yeah. So just coming slightly back a bit in nineteen ninety two, he actually got married to an actor. Fiona Loudon. So she grew up in Scotland. She was also pursuing a career as an actor. So she'd moved to England and was taking the stage as well. And you know, and that's when they met and started a relationship with Daniel Craig, uh, who was also in the same sort of stage of his career as well. She fell pregnant, and then they decided to get married. July nineteen ninety two. So they got married in Edinburgh. That's where she's from. Um, and then they lived in London together and their daughter, Ella, she was born uh, in late 1992. So you probably won't know a lot about this. Cause he's he's quite private, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't even know he had a daughter before sort of looking into this. Yeah, um, I found out loads of stuff about his personal life that I never had any idea about. Yeah, because it's not plastered everywhere. Mm. But this, the marriage didn't last long, and in 1994, they got divorced. And he says, I was 23 when I got married. I was too young. 
I don't know if it was a mistake exactly, but it was not the right thing to do at that time. I don't regret it, but I do wish I'd lived it in a different way. So Ella went and stayed with her her mum after the divorce. So his own marriage had failed, and like you said earlier, his parents' marriage has failed, which should sort of give him lingering doubts about you know his next uh, relationship and moving forward, how he would view that. And he said, I do believe in marriage, I really do. I believe that getting together with someone and making a public statement about it is a good thing. I just didn't really understand it before. Commitment is a part of life, the toughest part probably. That will, I'm sure that will all come out as we move through his uh, through his story. But yeah, so that's that's sort of where he was at in the mid nineties. Well, let's take things up a notch with some. <laughs> <laughs> really exciting TV shows that uh, he was part of in the 90s. This was a very fun bit to research. So from th- this goes starts from 1993, and this is kind of a... I'll do an overview of the things that Craig did over the early 90s. And I've watched trailers and episodes of all of these now, and I feel like I'm a bit of an expert on not only Daniel Craig, but some of the worst shows that have ever been created. <laughs> um, the first one is... Uh, he played a character called Lieutenant Hidalgo in um, Zorro. Did, did either of you ever watch Zorro, the early '90s like show? It's, it's like a t- American TV show. No, no. It was awful. It looked like um, it went for. Uh, it had numerous names: New Zorro, New World Zorro. It's like an invent- action adventure series. Um, actually, have you ever watched the Game of Thrones? Um, somebody's edited it to look like a 1990s. TV show. Yeah, yeah. The starting credits look exactly the same. It's ridiculous. Um, he's only got a small part in it. In pretty much everything he did in the early 90s, he's just in one episode. He's just a jobbing like a, actor, isn't he? Yeah. Jobbing actor. He's just in one episode of, of like a 90 episode series. So there are 88 episodes of Zorro. Um, it's a pretty big show, really. It was it was um, on the Family Channel. Never heard of the Family Channel, or I don't remember it. From 1990 to 1993. Um, and it was shot entirely in Madrid, Spain, but it was actually based in somewhere completely different. It's in Mexico or something. Um, but it had loads of actors in it as well. Adam West, Andre the Giant, Doug Ray Scott, Jim Carter, Pete Puzzlethwaite, Roger Lloyd Pack, Roddy Piper, Warwick Davis, um, all the big names. You're picking these the names 90s. out of a hat. <laughs> there were loads more. I had to, I had to like drill down for about 50 names to get those. They, that was my creme de la creme list from, from that. <laughs> But yeah, it's, he plays, I think it's in one episode, um, he plays just like a henchman of a baddie. He's not He's not very good in it. He just walks around looking hard. So yeah, probably don't watch that. Um, I don't think I will. I don't know how it got to 88 episodes. But then came <laughs> Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which you probably both have seen. Bits of um, it. I've seen bits of it. I think I watched all of it. I think it was a channel... I think it was on like a ITV at like three in the afternoon on a Saturday. I think I got through all of them. Um, that was ninety nine three as well. He's in one episode of that in Daredevils of the Desert. Again, he plays a baddie. It's a German officer during World War One called Schiller, and he's just a gen- pretty generic baddie. Although to be honest, he plays a very similar role to what he does in Bond. He's, he's not playing. It's he doesn't. He's just a a man who happily kill people. Um, then wow. <laughs> nineteen ninety three heartbeat. He plays a character called Peter Begg in one episode. Uh, that's a weird one. He's like a weird loner bloke who just comes home one day. To, uh, no, I think I think his mum dies and he comes back to clean the house. But then he's 
just alone, this lonely man. One episode. Do you remember, um, the thing I remember most about Heartbeat is when you heard that theme tune on a Sunday, you knew it was school the next day. And it school was the next like day. The yeah. end of the weekend. Haven't done, haven't done my homework. You should rewatch a clip of Heartbeat because it's so boring and it just takes you... Whatever well, mood you're listen, in, it will take you down a notch. Not all of our listeners are in England or in the UK, so can you just give a brief summary of what Heartbeat was? Heartbeat is a TV series that ran for a very long time in the 90s in the UK about a small village and the local policeman solving very, very menial crimes and problems in that village. <laughs> with set some in the very weak 50s. actors. Set in the 50s. Uh, oh, set, in the, set in the 50s, yeah, because it's got, it's got the... I can't remember who sang the title track. Cliff Richard? Um, don't think yeah, it's, it sounds it? like Cliff Richard. It sounds like Cliff Richard. Anyway, carry on. I don't think I'll, I'll look it up. Richard for that. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, so he plays a character in that. Between the Lines, have you, have you ever heard of Between the Lines? It's Buddy Holly, by the way. Buddy Holly, ah. that's the guy. Uh, well, which is probably more expensive than Cliff Richard. Uh, Between <laughs> the Lines um, is a TV series. It's like p- police drama in 1992 to 1994. Ran for three series. I'd never heard of it. No. But it has starred so many up-and-coming actors, as well as Craig. It had James Nesbitt, Jerome Flynn, Edward Tudor Pohl. Yeah. Ray Winston, Hugh Bonneville, Johnny Lee Miller, um, all of them starring it before they were famous. None of them, I think, would have starred in it if they were famous. Andre the Giant? Um, sorry? Andre the Giant? <laughs> he wasn't in that one, no. He, he, he hit his peak with uh, Zorro. Um, so, yeah, and then Drop the Day Donkey, which you probably both have seen. Um, yeah. In this one, this is an interesting one. I actually watched uh, quite a bit of this episode. He plays like a drugs baddie. I don't think it's really clarified what he does, but... Um, because it's comedy, isn't it? Drop the dead donkey. So it's like he's like a baddie in a comedy show, but again, not a particularly exciting role. It's a one-off. The next one is interesting. He was in Sharp's Eagles in 19, uh, Sharp's Eagle in nineteen ninety-three, which is obviously the Sean Bean vehicle, mm. which shot him to global stardom. Um, he plays Lieutenant Berry, who's like a snobbish army officer who has a problem with Sharp, who because obviously Sharp is like a you know lower class captain who's a bit rough and ready so he ends up having a lot of fights with this guy um but again he plays a baddie basically in that one mm. um but he's quite good in that i watched a few clips of that of sean bean and him um fighting but obviously he's sean bean had a fight with Piers brosnan in goldeneye so that's an interesting link that he's actually had a fight with two of the bonds on on film um just not as they were both bond so that's that's the highlights of um, um, <laughs> the weird nineties. Daniel Craig. Craig. So in nineteen ninety four, Daniel Craig returned to the stage to start in the Rover, which was a collaboration between the Open University and the Women's Playhouse Trust. It's a dark restoration comedy about an English cavaliers who go on the hunt for women during a Neapolitan masked carnival, which I thought was quite interesting considering the sort of masked carnival they have in Quantum of Solace. But the Rovers starred uh, Do Gray Scott, Danny Don- John Jules and Andy Serkis and was staged in an abandoned movie studio in, with 72 tonnes of sand. Apparently it was filmed for the BBC and um, I think a lot of uh, universities you can watch it on in their libraries. That's the Rover. Then in 1994, Daniel starred in a play, a workshop play at the National Theatre Studio called Les Grandes Horizontals. 
Uh, and this is about French courtesans of the 19th century. And he stars alongside Rachel Weiss, who, as we know, is his future wife or current wife, as as we are recording this. Spoilers. Uh, spoilers. Um, <laughs> according to Rupert Christiansen, who is the Daily Telegraph's opera critic uh, and also acted as the production's historical consultant, neither of them were famous then. So their first meeting went unrecorded. The plot put them into a number of amorous clinches and there was a lot of faked sexual congress and tasteful nudity. So, um, yeah, so you can see that's where they first met. When Daniel was asked later uh, whether or not there was sort of any uh, chemistry between the two of them during this play, he said, I'd rather not say, but we're together. So maybe there's a clue in that. And Rachel Weisz later said, that she would have to spend the whole day trying to seduce him in the play and it was really hard work as you can imagine so there was obviously chemistry there but they didn't um didn't get together officially until much later on in the story then he makes one of his most bizarre film appearances uh on record which is in a film a disney film called a kid in king arthur's court which starred kate kate winslet again art malik who we know uh, from The Living Daylights, uh, Bond connection there. And then Ron Moody as Merlin. So that's another Oliver connection for you. And the tagline for this film, Joust Do It. Like that? I mean, that's fantastic. That's what they should have called the film. Mm. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So it's based on Mark Twain's book, um, Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Um, and actually had already, which had already been made into a film by Disney back in 1978 and also starred Ron Moody as Merlin, weirdly. So anyway, this film is about Calvin, played by Thomas Ian Nicholas, who played Kevin in the American Pie series. Can you picture him? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and he's a modern kid who, while playing baseball, is swallowed up by the ground in an earthquake and is teleported to 6th century England to the court of King Arthur. Daniel Craig plays Master Kane, the knight who trains Calvin, and Winslet plays Kate Winslet plays Kane's love interest. Daniel calls it his biggest turkey. Uh, it was not hit with critics, but it did get a sequel called A Kid in Aladdin's Palace that was released in 1998 and was direct-to-video. Uh, this film, unfortunately, in the UK is not available on Disney+, Plus, but I believe anyone in America can watch this film on Disney+. Plus. Um, so you're suggesting that there's a lot of people listening to this now going, quick! To Disney Plus, searching it out. It's not here. It's not here. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard of it, and I'm a pretty big Disney fan. That's really slipped through the net of Disney. Well, I sent you both a picture on it the other day, and uh, Daniel Craig has an amazing bowl haircut in this. It's uh, it's quite incredible. Every kid's haircut in the 1990s looked like this. Um, It sounds like his Darby O'Gill, but not quite as good. Yeah, it's exactly his Darby O'Gill, but that didn't have anywhere near the impact of Darby (laughs) O'Gill. Uh, the critics just absolutely savaged it as well. They were sort of saying, I dread to think what Disney will come up with next. It was really was sort of scraping the barrel at that point yeah. for Disney. Mm. But he was on the cusp of making a huge breakthrough. Yes. Now he burst onto the scene in 1996 in a BBC drama called Our Friends in the North. So have any of us seen this? I personally haven't. Yeah, I remember seeing it. Yeah, I I haven't seen it, but I told I told you, didn't I, Brendan, that um, when I mentioned this episode to my parents, they were like, "Oh, he was brilliant in Our Friends in the North." So um, yeah, high praise from the Wheatley family. There, there you go. Well, it it certainly did strike, you know, struck a chord with with the viewers. What are your thoughts on it, Butler? 
Oh, it's fantastic. It's a, it's yeah. a seminal piece of drama. Yeah, it spans many decades, I think, and they play from young to old, don't they? Yeah. And the cast but, is phenomenal. It's just a, well, it's just a fantastic yeah, piece of drama, yeah. Yeah, I, I doubt it's on iPlayer, is it? It's probably something you have to dig out, dig out a box set or something. But it's, um, yeah, so it spans, it's four friends over a 30-year period from 1964 to 1995. So from their teens through to middle age. And uh, each episode... It, it takes in context where they are in their life and it shows you and the backdrop of um, socially where the country's at as well. So, you know, politically, um, just to give you context of where they are as friends and where the country's at. And so the four lead actors at the time were all unknown. Christopher Eccleston, who was probably the most well-known at the, at the time of the four. Gina McKee, who I'm trying to think, the best probably four weddings in, and funeral it's notting hill isn't it um and mark strong well he needs no introduction does he no because he's been in very do- i'm just looking at some pictures of this some fantastic wig work going on in this series <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah and then obviously daniel craig and he played a character called geordie peacock who is a failed pop star who, who is, runs a strip club so yeah, this this was the role that really put him on the map. So with this, it snowballed and meant he got another another big part, which was with ITV this time. Um, Ooh, boo! It was, <laughs> it was an adaptation of Daniel Defoe's uh, thriller, The Fortunes and Misfortunes of Mole Flanders, alongside Alex Kingston, who is best known as River Song in Doctor Who. That I can't believe this that long ago. I I wouldn't have thought Mole Flanders was that. That older series, wow, twenty-five years. Mm. Mm. It was uh, quite famous at the time, wasn't it, for all its uh, sort of sex scenes. It just spanned a lot of yeah. There were like my parents loved it because it was sort of period drama, but it was a bit saucy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, also starred Diana Rigg, so nice little bond connection there. Then mm. um, the filming took place over eleven weeks for a four-part series, so it's quite. It was quite full on, quite extensive. And um, this is where Daniel Craig kind of got a little bit bored with doing period pieces and costume dramas. And it also marked the end of him giving personal interviews. So at this point, this is where he wanted to keep his private life separate and private, you know, which is he's well within his rights to do so. You have to make that call early in your career. If you, you feel like you're... you're bursting onto the scene you need to make that early because once the horse has bolted it's very difficult to get yeah. it back in well thank so. you very much daniel you've you've made this episode a little bit harder to <laughs> research um but yeah so this is this is where his career starts to get going but we're not going to know about what he personally thinks about it are we so. well <laughs> you, you say when his career gets going i've got a few other things to bring up first um <laughs> i think um, yeah, I've, I've got some. I've certainly got the more interesting um, roles he's played in this uh, selection. Um, so, in 1996, he he starred in an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Have you ever watched Tales from the Crypt, the series? I'm aware of it. It's like a Twilight Zone type show, isn't it? An anthology it's thing. It's a really isn't it? interesting yeah. series. It's um, it's spanned a long time. I I, I watched a few of them. Um, one of our friend, I think our friend uh, Chris Nelson, he had. Um, <laughs> of them on dvd uh, video at one point um but it went from uh 1989 to 1996 so it was really popular and it was an american series when it initially started 
But then later on, it I think it got taken over and became an, uh, produced in, from an English team, which is why Daniel Craig was in it. And he is in a, he plays a character called Barry in an episode called Smoke Rings. And basically, it's like an adult Goosebumps. Mm. Like the stories are just stupid. Yeah. But there's a little <laughs> bit of sex in it and there's a little bit of violence in it. But really, you could turn him into Goosebumps pretty easily if you wanted to. Um, he plays yeah this character who um, I actually found it really hard to work out the storyline. There's a whole episode if you want to watch it on YouTube, any listeners. Um, and he's relatively good in it. Like the in the storyline is he goes into a company and he plays this kind of like guy that's he's meant to be like a new employee in the company, but really he's secretly trying to take over. But then there's like a weird science fiction element to it in the. I don't know. There's something going on. I can't even remember. I couldn't work it out. But I'm going to give you a list of other actors that have been in Tales from the Crypt because these are always interesting to read. Anthony Michael Hall, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Brad Pitt, Brad Dourif, Christopher Reeve, Corey Feldman, Dan Aykroyd, Demi Moore, Iggy Pop, Joe Pesci, Kirk Douglas, which I found interesting. Here's a good one for you. Meatloaf and Michael J. Fox. So, uh, yeah, it was a massive series. Obviously, HBO, I think it was. HBO, yeah. And um, seven seasons, 93 episodes. You're not going to turn that down with the kind of people that's on that. So he's actually within, out of all those people, he's one of the lesser known ones. So taking that role is quite good. Um, But yeah, have a look at it if you're ever really, really bored. Um, In uh, another one that he did is 1996, a a film called Saint X. He played a character called Goulamé. It's a, a British film. I didn't really go into too much detail with this. It's um, it's about the life of a French author aviator, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, um, and it's in the form of a tone poem. And a tone poem is like a, like a musical term. Um, and it's basically a film that's played through music, I think. I mean... I think a tone. I think a tone. About. I think a tone poem, more when it comes to film, is something that's played out through imagery and tone. So it's sort of not not necessarily narrative. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it does have narrative. I quite find it quite. I don't think it fits to the standard term of knowledge because I it didn't when I looked up tone poem it didn't quite seem to work. Basically, it's an art 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 house film. Hmm. All right, on to the next one. Looks a bit weird. <laughs> um, okay, so the next one I've got here is Obsession where he plays a character called John McHale in 1997. Uh, a French-German drama film, and I didn't really go into too much depth with this. It's it's like a romantic... It premiered at Canada's Toronto International Film Festival, uh, and it's about a love affair. Two men with the same woman. Didn't really find anything interesting in that. But what is interesting is Hurley Burley, the stage show. So... Um, Hurley Burley, the stage show, came out in 1997. Um, it... He was in a version of it that was uh, opened in the West End, the old Vic. It had Daniel Craig. Uh, Daniel Craig was in it with Rupert Graves, Andy Serkis, David Tennant, uh, Jenny Seagrave and Susanna Doyle. Um, and it's a, it's, it looks quite good. It's about several low to mid-level Hollywood players in the 1980s. It's a play that's been played. In, it's not just by them. Other people have played it as well in the US and stuff. But there's also a movie that was released in 1998 which is really quite high profile. It's Sean Penn in it, Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright, um, Anne Paquin and Meg Ryan. I watched the trailer for that. It looks really quite interesting, so it might be worth a watch of that. But about that was pretty... Um, that got quite a lot of critical acclaim, I think, when that was when they were starring in that, in that show in uh, 1997. So, yes, there's a few things that he did.
in 1998, Daniel Craig starred in three films, Love and Rage, Elizabeth and Love is the Devil Study for a Portrait of Francis Bacon. And it's these this sort of triple hit that really announces him on the on, on the world stage as a, as a as an actor to be to be watched. Love and Rage is a 1998 uh, British Irish German drama directed by Cathal Black and it stars Greta Scarchi. Daniel Craig and Stephen Delane, who we already mentioned in Angels in America. So it's set in 1800s Ireland and it's about um, an English woman who gets murdered by an Irishman. And then the Irishman, um, played by Daniel Craig, he escapes to America and claims that his crime was politically motivated. Not much to say about it, really. Um, but he does. Daniel Craig does an Irish accent, but it's quite a typical role for him at this stage in his career. He's quite a dark character, quite brooding, quite dangerous. Someone with who looks quite, who seems like they have a bit of menace to them, and that's sort of quite typical of Daniel Craig in this era. In 1998, then he perhaps his biggest film so far. He played a psychopathic priest in the film Elizabeth, which stars Kate Blanchett as Elizabeth, uh, Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, also stars Geoffrey Rush, Christopher Eccleston, Joseph Fiennes, John Gielgud and Richard Attenborough. This is a real prestige mm-hmm. picture. Um, and it's a great, great film, this. If you haven't seen this, I would absolutely recommend it. Daniel Craig plays John Ballard. He's an assassin dispatched by Rome to kill the Queen. Uh, actually, really interestingly, we always talk about Layer Cake being the film that landed him Bond, but more recently it's sort of come to light that it might be more this film, Elizabeth, that that announced him to um, as the man to play James Bond next. So Daniel Craig met Barbara Broccoli for the first time in 2004 at the funeral of someone called Mary Selway. She was a, a London casting director and they met they got on quite nicely and Barbara then started tracking his career, watching what he was doing. See, you know, as I imagine she does with every young British actor she comes into contact with. And there's a scene in Elizabeth. I don't know if you've seen it recently, but Daniel Craig has to kill an informant on the beach. And the idea was that he would strangle this guy and drown him in the surf. But Daniel actually improvised taking the person he was going to murder behind some rocks. And then you would see him smashing a rock over this guy's head. You could see Daniel, but obviously couldn't see the other guy the head over the top. It was much easier to film, but also even more menacing. Mm-hmm. And Barbara Broccoli, apparently when she saw this scene, she was just transfixed by his violent energy. And there's also another shot of Daniel Craig stalking through a church, wearing a cassock, just making a beeline for the Queen. And it's such a menacing moment. And apparently, you know, this is according to Daniel Craig said, I just remember getting chills all over my body. She told Daniel, I just thought, oh, my God. So this was the moment that could have landed uh, Daniel Craig Bond. And you should watch this film. It's absolutely fantastic. The film, it won, uh, got seven nominations at the uh, Academy Awards in it for including Best Picture and Best Actress. And it won for makeup and hairstyling. Then we had um, Love is the Devil. And this is the one that really announces Daniel Craig as someone to watch uh, it's his biggest role probably in the biggest film Love is the Devil is a 1998 film made for TV by the BBC and it was written directed by John Mabry it stars Dan- Derek Jacobi as Francis Bacon and also stars Tilda Swinton um, and it played at Cannes and it's considered basically to be his breakthrough movie role so it's a fictional biography of Francis Bacon the painter and it concentrates on his relationship with George Dyer a thief played by Daniel Craig um, 
It was originally meant to star Malcolm McDowell as Francis Bacon and Daniel had starred along Malcolm McDowell in Our Friends in the North. Um, and I think that's one of the things that drew him to the project. But he pulled out at the last minute and um, Derek Jacobi stepped in instead. John Mabry sympathised with the task that Daniel had in the film because George Dyer, very little is known about him compared to Francis Bacon. And yeah, there was just, you know, there was a lot for him to make up uh, for the film. He said he brings an incredible stillness and complexity to his roles. He reminds me of Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, the actor there, not the not the director. So it's actually quite an interesting film. It's got a lot of S&M themed sex scenes. Daniel Craig is naked for a lot of it. He has a lot of nude scenes in it. So if you're interested in that, then that's the film for you. <laughs> um, so Maybury talking about Daniel Craig, he said he couldn't get enough of him putting him on screen. He says those icy blue eyes part of you wants to trust him and wants to believe in all that nice guy stuff but there is something in those eyes that is quite psychotic the navy blue circle around the edge of blue which is quite interesting really when you think about where he ends up playing james bond with that edge of you know psychotic Mm -hmm. in him yeah so he is now very getting very busy you know because he's he's making a name for himself so he starts to become quite prolific 1999, he stars in a television drama called Shockers, The Visitor. It's another anthology series. I'm not going to deep dive into actors that have been in other episodes. Um, But I'm just going to crack on to the next thing. So he was in a film called The Trench. And that takes place just before, um, a couple of days before the Battle of the Somme. So um, during the First World War. Also stars Ben Whishaw and Danny Dyer. There's the first Danny Dyer mention of the James Bond A to Z podcast. Sound the klaxon. <laughs> uh, also in 2000, he is in Some Voices, where he plays a schizophrenic man who falls in love with a woman who is played by Kelly MacDonald um, after being discharged from a psychiatric hospital. And then in 2000 again, he also stars alongside Tony Collette in a dark comedy, and it's called Hotel Splendide. Have you seen this? Nope. So... This is a story of uh, the Blanche family. They run a health resort on a remote island. It's only accessible by uh, a ferry. And the program, the whole like spa ethos, it consists of feeding the guests seaweed and eel and um, administering colonic irrigations. <laughs> Sounds crazy. But he says, <laughs> I just read the script and went, I have no idea what this is about. I don't know how I feel about the film. When you take risks... They can go two ways. It's a really weird, wonderful film. And as a piece of British cinema, it stands alone. It's a weird piece, but I like weird. Weird is good. Mainstream is crap, even though I'm in Tomb Raider. Um, <laughs> so he, he's stopped doing interviews in 1996, but he'll do the occasional one like this. Yep. <laughs> he really wants to get something off his chest. <laughs> so he also stars in I Dreamed of Africa. He doesn't star in it. It's quite a small role. Uh, which is based on the life of Cuckoo Gorman. It's played by Kim Basinger, another another Bond alumni. That has got a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, and Basinger earned the Golden Raspberry for the worst actress. He said, I played a part in it, which I could do standing on my head, but it's still a small part in a big film. You just think, what's the point of doing that? I'd rather do something that I really believe in that only gets seen by 10 people. I mean, that's something you see, sort of the, the projects he's taken before and that he continues to take. You know, his his ethos is always about doing something slightly different. 
you know, and pushing the boundary rather than the big stuff. I mean, you do get your, your cowboys and aliens as well. But <laughs> fantastic film. But we'll go into that later. <laughs> so after after he did that, there's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, he started a film called Sword of Honor, uh, which is it sounds I've never heard of it, but um, it's based on a, a trilogy of novels by Evelyn Waugh, which I'd never heard of. Do you mean Evelyn Waugh? Evelyn Waugh, yeah. Evelyn Wow. Well, it's just my personal preference. <laughs> you say well, I say wow. Um, it's about his experiences during the Second World War. And, yeah, it's an adaptation of that. I didn't go into too much depth, but, um, it's, yeah, it's about Guy Crouchback's um, relationship with uh, his divorce from Virginia Troy. Don't suppose either of you ever heard of any of this stuff, so no. No. I'll move on. Um, but there's one that sh- you will have heard of, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, which is one of the most prolific, impressive parts of his, uh, his career, really. There, he plays a character called, anyone know? No. no. Alex West. That was in 2001. <laughs> and he said about the role, I, I, I actually don't know if I've ever actually seen Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. I, I don't, if I did, I was probably quite late on and I was drinking quite a lot that evening. But he said... I have to do it because it's an experience. I've never done something on this scale before. It would be nice to think if I do this film, I will have more of a choice as to what I do. So this is actually a pretty massive film, isn't it, for him to do? Um, He's probably not had that experience before, so it's a big opportunity to take. And to be honest, at the time, it could have been massive. There was a chance that that film was going to be big. And Mm -hmm. Tomb Raider was enormous around that era. So, yeah, it it was a bit of a boring film but um and and didn't do very well but it could have done um it must have done enough to do a sequel though they, they did do a sequel but he didn't want to be in the sequel um he only did the first one Are you looking up notes here i'm just uh, just intrigued yeah i think it looked like yeah. took like 275 million dollars yeah it's, it's all right yeah so yeah it did pretty well but it obviously was was panned and um critically it wasn't seen as a particularly good film um so, but interestingly he, took, uh, he actually did some interviews about this and i watched a few of them and one interesting thing he said about it was so i thought okay it's time to get fit why not it's good to be in shape i don't want to get into that narcissistic thing of body beautiful i'm never going to be body beautiful neither am i going to be beautiful well that wasn't true was it since he was absolute sex symbol for majority <laughs> of his life um so is it quite interesting to just read that thinking that at that point in his career he probably thought that he was always going to be getting these roles like you know the baddies and stuff like that and he, and, and being bond was probably not on on his on his list um other interesting facts about tomb raider are that the uh, apparently the gun that he uses um in the film is a Walter PPK don't know how true that is um <laughs> and also that's well. That's I can't verify that fact, and I'm not going to watch it to do a close up. Just, apparently just say it then, if you believe it is true. It's I'm not t- a lie. I just if you have to throw it. in something interesting about Tomb Raider. Another interesting fact, which might not be that interesting, is Lara Croft, or a fact. Croft is English, <laughs> and Alex West is American. However, the actors that play those roles are the opposite way round, which is also a very interesting fact about. Tomb Raider brings another uh, and, uh, word. and as I mentioned he declined the offer to do a sequel redefining the word interesting <laughs> with every fact you wait we list, all the listeners listening to this podcast are going to be like I can't believe it I never thought about those areas <laughs> they're probably big fans of Tomb Raider the people listening to this podcast um, moving on to a slightly different film uh, 10 minutes older The Cello now this is 
oh, this is a really difficult film to um, go into depth on because it was a compilation project of like loads of little short films. It was 15 films from different filmmakers, all invited to do like a part of a story. It's broken into two halves, and I'm not going to watch it because it's it's basically just a big art selection of different directorial techniques and different ways to tell a story. I think there's a thematic story within it, so I think that the character, the things happening, span the different part, the different ways that the filmmakers have done it. But um, Daniel Craig's part is um, it's about a spaceman coming back to Earth set in the future uh, looks a little bit Blade Runner-ish but not very good and it's yeah I, I couldn't even understand it but it's very arty it looks quite nice if you're interested in seeing an arty Daniel Craig film watch that because it's I think it's on YouTube and it's only 10 minutes so go for your life so yeah there's a there's a couple of uh, interesting treats for you there <laughs> interesting you're very interesting <laughs> I'm not going to watch any of them alright here's one you might want to watch in 2002, Daniel Craig is cast by Sam Mendes for his film The Road to Perdition. Now, Road yes. to Perdition was Dan- Sam Mendes's second film after American Beauty, and American Beauty obviously was massive. That's the Kevin Spacey film. It was nominated for Best Picture at the Golden Globes, BAFTAs, Academy Awards, you know. That was a huge film. So everyone was very interested to see what Sam Mendes would do next. And obviously Sam Mendes will loom large in the Daniel Craig story later on. Road to Perdition is based on a graphic novel of the same name, written by Max Allen Collins, illustrated by Richard Pierce Rayner. And the film itself is a Prohibition-era gangster film, and it stars Tom Hanks, uh, Paul Newman, Jude Law, and many more. So I, I don't know if you've seen this film recently or remember it well, but Hank, Tom Hanks plays the adopted son of a mob boss, John Rooney, who is played by Paul Newman. Daniel Craig is Connor, the natural son, who is absolutely crazy and goes off the rails and basically destroys his father's empire. And also Tom Hanks, who plays like this hitman. Connor is the person who sets the story in motion, said Sam Mendes. I wanted a relative unknown to play him so the audience wouldn't know from the first moment that he was going to be a central player. I felt if his character were to work, he would almost have to creep up on the audience. And so um, Daniel Craig is an appropriate choice. You know, he's put the work in. He plays menacing characters on screen. He's not that well known. So... um, Sam Mendes personally invited him to take the role. Um, They'd met a few times in the past, I think, at various events. They played cricket together, apparently. But the story goes that Sam Mendes was watching TV with Patrick Marber, the playwright, and, and, you know, from Alan Partridge. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They were watching, uh, and Sword of Honour came on, which we just talked about. And Daniel, uh, Patrick Marber said to uh, Sam, that's who you want to play, Connor. So then Sam Mendes got Daniel Craig in the next day and just basically told him he was going to do the film. Um, Daniel Craig said, he told me the story and I thought, great. And when he said, I've got Tom Hanks and Paul Newman playing your dad, he said, don't tell me anymore. I can't cope with this. He said, what did I say when I got the part? Christ. Actually, I didn't say that. I said something unprintable. So then he flew out to Chicago, read for Mendes, got the part. The film got really good reviews, many praising Daniel Craig's performance. And there was actually, you know, rumours of an Oscar nomination for him. Didn't happen. But Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian called Daniel Craig excellent as Connor. And Mike Goodridge of Screen said he was a real scene stealer in that movie. And he is. He's great. The film earned five Academy Awards nominations, including Best Supporting Actor for Paul Newman. That is a fantastic film, a really interesting milestone in his career as well. 
And then in 2002, something not quite as milestoney, he played um, uh, Werner Heisenberg, a, a scientist in a TV drama film called Copenhagen, which also starred Stephen Rear. Um, and it's based on a pivotal meeting in 1941 between the physicists Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg. Mm. And it aired on BBC Four and PBS. So you can see the sort of the nature of that yeah. that film. Back to tread the boards, and it's time to do a number, which is a, a play of written by Carol Churchill. And this was uh, September to November 2002 at the Royal Court Theatre in London. So this would be at the sort of time where Rotopedition was released, wasn't it, that year? Middle of yeah. that year, yeah. So he, he plays a, um, his role is a man who is cloned twice by his father. And for this, he was actually nominated for Best Actor, the, the London Evening Standard Theatre Award. And so there's only two actors in it. It was Daniel Craig and Michael Gambon. They were the only two and but it, it it required Daniel Craig to play more than one role, so the critics really loved that he was able to play three cloned brothers, all completely different and and showing different characteristics. And Michael Gambon was equally impressed. Uh, he said it's a very difficult play. It's very difficult to rehearse because, like all great writing, the play gives you so many choices and so much subtext. I've never worked with a young actor so smoothly. He's so intelligent and sharp and clever. And I'm not just saying that. He's just perfect. He can do anything. Interestingly enough, he works with Michael Gammon quite a lot moving forward. Uh, And then the following year, he stars as poet Ted Hughes, who wrote the... It's called The Iron Man, isn't it? But the film was called The Iron Giant. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's how I know Ted Hughes. Um... Uh, opposite Gwyneth Paltrow, who played Sylvia Plath, um, and it's a story of a biographical film of uh, them both, uh, the romance between the two poets, and uh, also stars Michael Gambon. And then in that same year, he he appeared in The Mother, and it's about a man who has an affair with a, an older woman, uh, who is the mother of his lover and his best friend, and that's played by Anne Reed. So he's he's doing serious acting really using that training to put it good to good use yeah interestingly the mother is directed by roger mitchell and roger mitchell at one point was due to direct quantum of solace and i think it's because of his relationship with daniel craig and i think roger mitchell pulled out of quantum of solace at the sort of late stages and ended up obviously passing it on to mark forster just one of the many issues faced by that film but yeah Mm -hmm. that's the mother okay so moving away from the films for a second we can delve into a little bit of his personal life um with his relationship with satsuki mitchell who i actually didn't know anything about before doing any research into who she is she's a well she's she was a producer and they met on a film which we'll talk about in a bit called the jacket in 2005 but she's she's a producer that hasn't really done a lot of stuff, um, especially in recent years. She's she's actually become more of a, a photographer nowadays. So she's got a photography website. Um, very good. I went through all of those. Actually, fantastic stuff. But she uh, in in her earlier life as a producer, she worked on a number of different things. Not too much really. A film called The Jacket. A film called The Criminal. Godsend. Uh, Last Night. Black Christmas and Diggers. I'm not going to too much detail about any of those. And really, they went out for uh, seven years. They had a seven-year relationship and they had a three-year engagement. But eventually, they split up in 2010. And there's, uh, 
I, I hate researching these things, especially in modern day relationship type stuff around the Bond actors. It's actually not too bad when you look at like Sean Connery and stuff because it's like history and there's there's you know the people have done biographies and stuff about um, the relationships. But when you do it modern day, it's just hundreds of articles from the you know the tabloids and stuff. And I saw a, an article in Hello magazine that was was talking about. Um, uh, Satsuki Mitchell and saying she's famous for winning the heart of 007 hunk Daniel Craig mm. well not really why she doesn't really sum her up very well it's not useful no. information really um, but there's a lot of stuff and we'll go into more detail about this later but um, the splitting up of um, Mitchell and Craig was around the time where Craig was getting back in touch with Rachel Weiss and, and, and stuff like that um, and apparently there was a big uproar when um, Craig got back together with Rachel uh, well eventually got properly together with Rachel Weiss, Um and there was some stories about um, uh, Satsuki Mitchell taking Daniel Craig's credit cards and spending a million pounds on them and all this kind of stuff but I don't know how true all that stuff is it might be um, tabloid nonsense but there you go a little uh, a personal intersection before we move back on to more films yeah and it's a the big one now it's uh, Layer Cake uh, this is Daniel Craig's first leading role he's leading the film he's on the poster he's you know he, he's the main man his character doesn't have a character name listed in the script as xxxx and is he's just an inscrutable character this is a fantastic film it was um, directed by matthew vaughan in, in his directorial debut matthew vaughan at the time was known for producing Lockstock and uh, snatch for guy ritchie but he moved into directing with this film and it's based on the, uh, the jj connolly book of the same name basically Daniel Craig plays a drug dealer who's trying to leave the drug industry, the drug business. And it's very sort of rooted in reality. So it's kind of like not a flashy gangster film. It's very sort of low key, realistic. The violence is very nasty. Also stars Cole Meany, Sienna Miller, Tom Hardy and Ben Whishaw again. So Ben Whishaw, who will come up against uh, when uh, he arrives in Skyfall. Daniel Craig said it's unnerving to be the lead in the layer cape because I really wanted it to do well. But when I got the script, I felt it was time. I couldn't quite put my finger on when it happened, but I, one day I woke up and realised that I could do this. It's such a liberating feeling to be on set and feel like you actually deserve to be there. So the time has come. He's ready to be the leading man. Connolly, uh, the writer of the book, who also ad- adapted the novel, said he was pleased about Daniel's involvement. He said a lot of good actors really wanted it, but when Daniel Craig was suggested, it was a done deal. We wanted to get as far away as possible from jolly ups and banter, guys trying to look too cool throughout the movie. We wanted an actor who was prepared to go the depths, go to the depths of emotion without anchors, not wanting to remain too cool for school. And Matthew Vaughan also recalls being nervous about meeting with Daniel. He thought he was going to be, um, well, he said, when I first met Daniel, I thought, oh Christ, is he going to be a real lovey thespian? But after 10 minutes, I discovered that we're both Harry Potter fans and that our idea of a good evening is being left alone with a PlayStation. So I think you'd get on well with him, Wheatley, Daniel Craig. I don't really like Harry Potter that much. <laughs> but weird what do you think he them- plays on PlayStation? Oh, Harry God, Potter. Get James Bond games. <laughs> weird thing for them to bond over but i thought it was quite funny yeah um so daniel craig was very hands-on with the production it was really well reviewed did really well at the box office and it launched both matthew vaughan and daniel craig into the stratosphere really uh, variety said it's very much daniel craig's movie an actor every bit as capable as current british flavor of the season jude law but handsome in a rougher more broken nosed way daniel craig's range and dapper appearance here may finally help him break out as a star stateside very prescient there of the variety to note that 
then he starred in Enduring Love in, two, uh, in 2004. That's another film directed by Roger Mitchell. I won't spend too long on this one, but it's based on the novel by Ian McEwen of the same name. It stars Reese Iffens and Samantha Morton, along with Bill Nye, Susan Lynch and Corinne Redgrave. Daniel Craig has a kissing scene with Reese Iffens, and Reese Iffens famously introduced Daniel Craig to Kate Moss during this film, and apparently they had a brief fling. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Mm. then we had 2005 we had the jacket you've just mentioned that directed by john mabry again who he had directed in the francis bacon film this looks like a dreadful horror film it stars adrian brody kira knightley chris christopherson and jennifer jason lee but interestingly well i thought it was interesting it has a full original score by brian eno so um mm. something to note there but it's about a someone a gulf war veteran who died and then uh, yeah travels through through time into other people's minds i don't know it just yeah sounds... move along yeah, move, move along, along. <laughs> i'm not watching it next uh fateless which is a hungarian film released in 2005 again not going to spend any time on that because you won't watch it but the music on that one is composed by ennio morricone so it's one of the most mm. expensive films ever made in hungary daniel craig just has a cameo in that but then 2005 he stars in munich which is still haven't seen it oh it's a stone cold classic yeah, it's a steven fantastic. spielberg historical thriller based around the munich massacre the 1972 summer olympics and daniel craig plays steve another south african uh, but this time a south african jew recruited to the um israeli government secret retaliation unit um who go out to take revenge for the Olympians who are held hostage at the Summer Olympics. Um, Daniel said uh, it's about how vengeance doesn't work. Blood breeds blood. And apparently he got a personal invitation from Steven Spielberg to star in the film. Daniel said, wow. uh, I got the call to go to see him in Paris, which I did. Um, he said it was really high, uh, really secretive. He said, I didn't believe it because they were being so secretive. I thought it was a joke. I thought I'd get there and they'd say, it's Stefan Spielberg. He's a porn producer. <laughs> <laughs> but he said he was taken to Spielberg's office. He was sworn to secrecy. Um, and then he just told the actor, he basically, Steven Spielberg said to him, he just gave him the part and said, I want you to do it. I want you to get involved. Daniel said he's a huge fan of Spielberg. He always wanted to work with him. And who wouldn't? I mean, that is a yeah. role of a lifetime. That's Steven Spielberg yeah. in his prime. Imagine if he, if he turned up and he went, ah, I thought you were a porn producer. Yeah. <laughs> Stefan Spielberg. See you yeah. later. And Steven Spielberg goes, I thought you were Craig Daniels. Um, <laughs> uh, and then in 1998, he starred in Archangel, which is a 1998, uh, which is an adaptation of the 90, uh, book by Robert Harris. And Daniel plays an academic who's in search of Stalin's notepad. Oh, Stalin's notepad. <laughs> so here we are. Now it's time to try and get him to play the role, at least. So, 2005, so we have covered this. I'll just divert you back to the Casino Royale episode. There's two episodes on it. Uh, I'll send you back the way for more in-depth. Um, so in 2005, Daniel Craig was contacted by Eon, and um, they wanted him to play 007. And he was unsure, so he was resistant. He didn't, he wasn't, you know... If you look at the work he was doing... It doesn't really, you know, playing Bond doesn't match up with you know, how his career seems to be panning out. And Barbara Broccoli said there was a period of trying to woo him. So during this period as well, he was seeking advice from friends and um, 
he said most of them said there is life after Bond. He stated that he was aware of the challenges that the, the being Bond can can uh, can bring up. Uh, and he said it's a big machine that makes a lot of money. But he wanted to, if he did do it, he wants to bring emotional depth to the character. Uh, interestingly, born in 1968, he is the first actor. I think we did cover this. We must have covered this. That he's the first actor to portray James Bond that's been born after the Bond film series started and after the death of Ian Fleming. It was it wasn't long after the layer cake premiere. Really, there was murmurings uh, flying around. And um, because of this, his whole radio silence on his personal life was sort of taking a, sl- a slight hit. And he was asked about that and he said, it's get- getting a bit battered. All I know is I've tried to protect my privacy as long as possible and I will continue to do so because it's got F all to do with anybody. I mean, this hasn't. This is what I do. It's part of what I do for a living. But the rest is of nobody's business. The same as nobody's private life is anyone's business even if you're in the public eye. There should be a clearly defined line, and I don't think it's brain surgery to try and figure that out. It's fairly simple. There's privacy and there's public life. If you choose to be in the public life, then maybe you open yourself to all sorts of rubbish. But if you don't, then I think it should be respected. So this sort of mentality is where the doubt of saying yes to the offer, you know, it's where it all comes from, where he knows that he'll be sacrificing Mm. a lot of this. If you're playing one of the most famous roles, if not the most famous role in in movie, well, it's it's funny with Craig because you kind of with the other actors who played Bond, or most of them, this wasn't even a thought part beforehand. They wanted the fame, they wanted the the role, but mm. you, we already know from Craig years before he didn't want the the fame that well he didn't want the attention mm. that you get from Bond. So quite a strange situation to be in, knowing that that's what exactly what's going to happen and still yeah. taking the role. And with the producers really wanting him as well. Like, yeah. desperate but for it to if be if you him. get offered a Bond role, it's balancing up, well, I don't really want it for those reasons, but I can't really turn it down. Yeah, so they, they actually had a meeting early 2005. Um, he said, I hadn't many ambitions to do it, but Barbara gave me a call. She said, please come and say hello. I thought, this is a bit of a giggle. I got a copy of the book and I was reading it, but I'd ripped off the front cover because I was on the tube reading it. <laughs> I got off the tube, finished the last page and threw it in the bin. And went, well, that was all right. When I read this, I thought, <laughs> strange behaviour. <laughs> just, just reading a book and throwing it in. That was all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the cover ripped off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then he walked into the office and he sat down and he had that conversation. And um, yeah. She said, cut up my book back. Ah. <laughs> oh. That was the first that's edition, original. yeah. <laughs> so um, at, at this point, he said, for me at that stage, it was promises, promises. Uh, unfortunately they didn't have a script and I can't say yes without a script so I turned the role down I walked away because I thought this is taking too much of my life and I'm thinking about it too much so this is where he went off and um, he made Munich with Spielberg and he couldn't get Bond out of his head so he had a conversation he said I said to Stephen Bond isn't this kind of film he said if the script's right and the deal's right do the job so if you've got Spielberg telling you you know giving you a bit mm. of advice on and um, to take a role because we I'd know take we, advice we, off spielberg for anything like what, yeah. like what i have for dinner <laughs> so we know that spielberg is a fan of bond as we've mentioned before so i mm. mean he he'll have an understanding of the character and the, I, I imagine they had quite a lot of conversations about it after you know working together and spending quite a lot of time together 
Um, obviously, the other factor was that Die Another Day was the the, the latest Bond film, you know, mm. and looking at that, that's so far away from the sort of thing that Daniel Craig wants to be doing, uh, relying on all the CG, uh, special effects, and, and numerous gadgets, which was to the detriment of plot, character. But then they sent in the script for Casino Royale, and he said, I read it and I loved it. It engaged me, it made me laugh, it did all the things you want. So then I thought, I've got to throw myself into this. Uh, and then creative input from Paul Haggis, who um, I think we've talked about before, one of the writers. Um, it tipped him over the edge, it convinced him to to go for it. Uh, he said, I sweated when I read the script. I thought, this is a great story probably because it's adhered to the book quite closely and I just thought you've got to be really silly not to have a think about this I made a pro and cons list every time the pros outdid the cons the cons were like you've got to get you're going to get typecast which is a high class problem to have other cons you might not be able to do other stuff to which I replied who says and around this time they were at a BAFTA he was at a BAFTA and he was on the same table as Pierce Brosnan (laughs) and again had a little brief conversation and and where Brosnan just said, go for it, it's a ride. Um, and Daniel Craig says, I kind of feel that if you look at the track record of most Bonds, I mean, Connery obviously defined the part, and even he struggled for a while to get rid of the mantle. That's the pitfall, and it could happen to me. So, yeah, so he obviously battled that within him and decided to go for it. I think the script, and we covered this in the actual Casino Royale specials, the script was doing so much of getting people on board. And that's that's what got him on board. Essentially, uh, you know, inevitably, in the end, that's why why he took it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a certain the risk involved with Bond is lessened over time. I think nowadays the prevalence of like m- massive franchises and stuff like that has limited. Like the olden days, with, when you became Bond, you were the most imp- like the most important fictional character in movies now i think it's it's not as effective is it you can still get work at the same time you can still get different work afterwards uh it's definitely not as 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 worrying i don't think Mm -hmm. but i would but i don't know i think there is certain truth to it as well but because i think with daniel craig he hasn't had certainly post skyfall hasn't done that many films like he hasn't yeah um but i always assumed that was because of choice yeah i think sometimes uh, it might be i think you've either got to take the role and become a massive star and enjoy the success and get paid well for it for making those films and then everything else might take a back seat or you can carry on being you know the jobbing actor who gets a few good roles yeah. and never gets like you know the big yeah. mainstream leads and and then your your yeah. star might fade very quickly it's like it's a yeah. it's a tough choice to make i can totally understand it but obviously we we covered that film in in great detail uh, Casino Royale we know that that film was a massive hit for him yeah. for Eon for James Bond it really secured the future for it and uh, a sequel obviously was was greenlit very quickly which is Quantum of Solace and they got working on that very quickly but before that he managed to squeeze in a few more films um, but we'll talk about Quantum of Solace next episode but what did he get up to before then well I won't go into too much depth with the next films because um, this is turning into a nice long podcast but he was in a film called infamous uh, in 2006 and he played a character called perry smith and this is quite an interesting film it is um about it's based on a 1997 book the title of the book is truman capote in which 
Various friends, enemies, acquaintances, and detractors recall his turbulent career. That's the title, um, and it's a it's a film about uh, it, it stars um, Toby Jones as Truman Capote, um, and it's about a book that Truman Capote wrote in 1965 called Cold Blood. In Cold uh, Blood. In, in Cold Blood. Yeah, that's the iconic book, isn't it? The Truman Capote yeah. book. and it's about the murder of uh, the Herbert Clutter family. So anyway, he, it, I won't go into depth about it, but he, he goes to a prison to speak to the suspected murderers. Uh, Daniel Craig is one of one of those people um, who's played the role of Perry Smith and Kuma Capote starts a relationship with him. There's it's it, there's, there's dispute as to whether that actually happened. A lot of people said that it, there's there's references that say it's made up. It's a fictional accounting of, of of that story. I don't know enough about Truman Capote to have any knowledge on that. But the film itself had some interesting people. It's Sandra Bullock played Harper Lee in it, um, and it's also got Lee Pace, uh, Jeff Daniels, um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, Sigourney Weaver and Hope Davis in it. It's quite a big, big film, which um, I've never actually got around to watching. It's, but uh, it, 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 quite... it is fantastic, but it was overshadowed by the Philip Seymour Hoffman film Capote. Yes, there was another Truman Capote film. Yeah, was, and I think it, early, I think it came it? a year early. Yeah, and this was really yeah. sort of overlooked because of that. But I personally think this is in the the infamous is the better Capote film. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've only watched a few clips of it, but Toby Jones looks phenomenal in it. Yeah. I've never seen him play a character like that. But yeah, add that to the list after I've watched um, uh, Tomb Raider. Um, uh, Renaissance. Now, this is a really interesting one, which I don't suggest you watch. It's a not black and white animated tech noir film, uh, also known as Paris 2054. It's a French film, and Craig plays a character. Um, he, he doesn't play the original character because it's a French film. He plays the English dub version, Barthélemy Carras. I didn't watch too much of it. It's basically about a oh, health and beauty corporation who are trying to get hold of a scientist or something like that um it was honored at the fifth festival of european animated feature films and um it was awarded the uh, award for best feature film at some point so yeah a couple of films he's done after um casino royal there but not very high profile but maybe one of them should have been yeah interesting when he was making um being announced as uh, james bond we talked about this in the casino royale episode and he did the boat stunt he was in the middle of filming the invasion which uh directed by oliver hirschbergel hirschbegel who made downfall you know the, the easy for you to say the one with um, the adolf hitler meme in it yeah um oh fantastic film actually yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and so directed by oliver hirschbergel it's a re- the fourth film adaptation of the body snatchers um and according to reviews the worst adaptation of the body snatchers hmm <laughs> so um he stars daniel craig stars as ben driscoll alongside nicole kidman uh yeah it was started filming in 2005 was due to be released in 2006 but actually got postponed to 2007 um it apparently the first uh, the first cut of the film was was dreadful um the studio then brought in the wachowskis to rewrite the film and assist with shooting and they actually then hired the director james mcteague to perform re- reshoots for 10 million dollars so this film was a total mess um, and it, the re- it reviewed really badly when it came out. So that's The Invasion. And then he made... Skip that one then. Yeah. Then he made The Golden Compass, which uh, we all know is the first um, film adaptation of Northern Lights um, of the His Dark Materials trilogy by Philip Pullman, yeah. written and directed by Chris Weitz. This was another film that struggled in pre-production. Also starred Nicole Kidman 
um, and Daniel Craig played Lord Azrael. Interestingly, the production designer on um, Golden Compass was Dennis Gassner, who would then become production designer for Quantum of Solace, Skyfall and Spectre. It was a controversial film. It underperformed at the box office. No sequel ever got greenlit, but it did win the Best Visual Effects Oscar in 2008. It's the perfect example, and I think most people who'd ever read the books, it's a perfect example of how to do a book of a a film of a book wrong. It's essentially, it's essentially just water everything down to the lowest common denominator and turn it into a movie, which doesn't work, especially when that film is so complicated. That book is so complicated, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think I watched. I actually rewatched that recently, just because it was on TV. And dear God, but, yeah, but it finishes it, even before the book ends, doesn't it? It like ends yeah. like mid season. It's just strange. Yeah, They've basically rewritten the book. You can't rewrite a book. It's like rewriting the Lord of the Rings into yeah. something else. Basically, work. if you want to see a decent version of it, then His Dark Materials, the BBC. You like version. that one? It's better than this one, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's better than this one. It's better than this one. It's an interesting program, the HBO version. Um, I'm not a huge fan, to be honest. I love the books, though. Like, I'll read yeah, the, the books, books every year, great. I think. Like, they yeah. just it's a bit fan- of a shame that. It could have been a fantastic role, but yeah. It's, yeah, it wasn't his fault. He was all right in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then before we wrap up, uh, in 2007, Daniel Craig starred with Catherine Tate in a Red De- Nose Day spoof, and he plays oh, that Catherine dear. Tate's boyfriend, Elaine Figgis. And this is a role... Well... Daniel Craig does a Catherine Tate sketch uh, in Red Nose Day 2020, so uh, something that, or oh, 2021, something that he'll later return to. So Yeah, um, I know you can't moan about charity stuff, but <laughs> you can. You can if it's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually, it's not that, it's, it's not bad, it's just not worthy of showing on TV. It's not worth anyone's time. <laughs> could have, could have used his, they could have, they, they had access to Daniel Craig to do something. Yeah. He could have done something a lot better than that. Yeah. But yeah, so that wraps up our first part of our Daniel Craig special. We've reached the point where Daniel Craig is about to return for Quantum of Solace, a film that divides people. Um, yeah, I might sit that next one out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so on the next episode, we'll talk about Quantum of Solace, the film and the game. So that's one for you, Wheatley. Um, mm. We'll talk about some other films that he made, including the time where he was basically the hottest thing in Hollywood. Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Cowboys vs. Aliens, Tintin, Dreamhouse. Um, and then we'll also cover Skyfall, uh, Spectre, Star Wars. The first time we'll get to t- talk about Star Wars properly. We're not going to talk about it properly, are we? <laughs> oh, yes. There's going to be a special just on him. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to turn that into a big discussion about Star Wars. As a stormtrooper. <laughs> And then we'll go right up to uh, No Time to Die, Knives Out, all that sort of stuff. So that's going to be an action-packed episode. Yes. If you want to contact us in the meantime, how do people get in touch with us? You can get to us on the socials, at JamesBondDataZ. That's on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Or hit us on email at podcast at jamesbondataz.co.uk. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. I remember, um, if you are to able to leave us a review where you listen to this podcast, that would be really appreciated. And if you do, send us a screenshot of the review, and I'll send you a sticker in the post. So uh, that's something to uh, get excited if it, about. If, if, if it's five star, if it's five star, <laughs> if it's one, I'm going to send weekly. Positive, yeah, send weekly. Um, but yeah, you've been listening to the James Bond eighty eight podcast. The James Bond will return. In the next episode, Daniel Craig Part 2. See you then. Bye. Ciao. The James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler, Brendan Duffy, and Tom Wheatley. 
The podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley, with music by Tom Ingomels, and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.